from the world-famous Napa Valley, where, as the welcome sign says, wine is bottled poetry. And we're podcasting from the very, very lovely um, and very famous Charles Krug Winery in St. Helena. Welcome to Sip on This. I'm Janae Gaither, your co-host, along with Roger Chung, and we're here to bring you inside the fabulous world of wine tasting from some of Napa and Sonoma's best wineries. Hi, Roger. How are you? Hi, Janae. It's so great to be back with you here today. We have some very special guests on today's episode of Sip on This. We have a member of one of the most esteemed families in all of Napa Valley, Angelina Mondavi. I am so honored to be here. This is the second time that I've actually got to sit at a table with a Mondavi. Thanks for joining us today. Thank you. It's so awesome to meet both of you guys and to be able to host you guys here. You know, Janae, before we get into the full interview with Angelina, Jim, who is the general manager of Charles Krug, took us on a tour of this beautiful facility. Hello, Angelina. And for our listeners who may not know much about Napa at all, please give them the highlights of your family and how the Mondavis have shaped Napa Valley and essentially turned it into a world-class wine destination. Oh, that's a big question. Um, (laughs) Awesome. Well, first I'll start with how did my family um, actually get involved in the wine industry? Um, You know, I was very, very fortunate. My family uh, are very much... um, adventurous. Um, My great-grandfather came in from Italy um, with my great-grandmother and during Prohibition um, my my great-grandfather kind of had this crazy notion of you know everyone was allowed to be able to produce 200 gallons of wine. Um, So why not ship people the wine? Mm -hmm. So he got into that but instead of shipping the wine which you obviously can't do during Prohibition he ended up actually shipping the grapes. So in start in transit here in Napa Valley it would start as basically grapes and by the time it would reach the other side or on the east coast it would be partially fermented or halfway through fermentation um, and then it would finish up fermentation in whosoever garage it ended up in um, and that's how he really got his start um, Cesare was very much a innovator and you know really creative and thought outside the box um, and in 1943 um, my great-grandfather came across Charles Creek winery and said this is where I want to reside um, really fell in love with it fell in love with the story fell in love with the history loved the fact that you know it really was the oldest winery in Napa Valley um, and one of the first and um, when you have that in combination with what my great-grandfather's concept was and his vision, it really just kind of folded and unfolded into this great concept and idea. Um, you know, eventually my great-grandfather passed away. Rosa took over as president of the company um, way back when, which is kind of remarkable to think, you know, that my great-grandmother was actually the president of the company mm-hmm. um, for a long period of time. So women in our family definitely are strong forces um, and Italian at that. <laughs> Um, which is actually kind of cool and you know really interesting and it's you know it's just kind of evolved Um, my grandfather and Robert kind of took over the business Um, obviously we had the famous rift um, between the two brothers um, in which they eventually mended before both of them passed Um, but what's really actually really fascinating about that is you have two individuals completely you know very very similar in their ideas Um, just disagreed on how to get to it. Uh, My grandfather, we like to call him the turtle um, or the tortoise, you know, in the tortoise and hare Mm -hmm. um, evolution and uh, story. And my grandfather was very much, you know, we grow organically, you know, we we maintain quality. And and Robert was very much, you know, the marketing guru. 
So you really have one in production and one in marketing and sales. Um, and they just didn't necessarily see eye to eye. So when that happened, um, my grandfather kind of stayed the course. He kept on to Charles Krug, and that's now been passed down to my dad's generation, which is the third generation, and then my generation, which is the fourth generation. Um, but with that comes so much legacy of innovation. Um, my grandfather did the cold fermentation, um, and that's what he studied in, in college um, back at Berkeley when they had a viticulture and winemaking program there and uh, when you learn all this sort of stuff that you know methods that today day day in winemakers like myself use every day a lot of us don't realize where it actually came from yeah. um, and my grandfather was very much for you know for that um, we were also one of the first to bring in French oak barrels um, also really really unique and really different uh, as my grandfather liked to say they were way ahead of the time um, a little too early is what he said it wasn't until later that he realized that you know this was like wow we really hit the money pit um, on that and really realized the magnitude and the impact that Fun Joke actually has on the wine industry here in the United States. Um, along with other things, some of the new concepts that we're actually playing with as far as innovation is, you know, we have two new concrete tanks, um, so we got to have a little bit of fun with that. Um, Stacy Clark, our, our winemaker, um, really loves the mouthfeel of it. It's a little bit softer, not as aggressive, um, and there's also a minerality that I like to say kind of adds to it. Um, and uh, so we're playing with that with our limited release Sauvignon Blanc and our limited release Chardonnay. We started the day with a tour with Jim and Jenny, he took us into that nice barrel room and showed us those eggs. Let's go to that part of the tour. All right, so we're gonna, we're gonna taste the 2018 Reserve Sauvignon Blanc out of our dark gray stainless, or dark gray cement egg. Cheers. Cheers. Uh, and this, again, this, this egg is the equivalent of about four barrels. It will be eventually blended into our reserve um, blend. Um, so it's, but she, she's just exper experimenting with it to see if this is something we could dedicate just buying eggs for our, so our reserve Sauvignon program or things like that. So, um, and then the same thing with our reserve Chardonnay as well. Wow, so floral hasn't been fined or filtered yet. Not at all. Yeah, no, this is still... this. These, these were picked... I, I think these grapes were picked early September. Yeah, Sauvignon usually comes in late August. Um, it just... The harvest this year was about two weeks behind. Mm -hmm. And in some cases, with some of the cabs, they hung a little, little bit longer than two weeks uh, normal. But it was just... It was a really funky year. It was a very funky year. So... But no, the, the soft, I mean, this So this actually even has a little bit of effervescence. It's still settling out. It's still, you know, but you can get, you can detect the, the acidity is really bright and crispy. Yeah. So this, and that's one of the characteristics that these eggs will do for it. It's, the preservation of acidity. Yep. Okay. So this is the 2018 Reserve Chardonnay as well. So both of these reserve level wines are only available through our wine club. So we do just tiny productions of each. Both um, the Sauve Blanc and the Chardonnay have a, a very bright bouquet. Floral, a lot of grapefruit in this one. A lot of, I get a lot of flintiness too, and a lot of, um, a little bit of salinity, but it's probably that 
the fact the, that it's yeah. in a concrete tank. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> And the color is a beautiful golden color, light golden color. How would you describe that color? Medium straw. Yeah, that's, I was gonna say straw. That's mm -hmm. the best way to do it, yeah. And a little bit cloudy because again, it's just so very young in the in the process. We're actually it's quite, it's unfiltered. Mm -hmm. it's, it's, it, we're actually quite lucky to be um, tasting a wine this early in the process. All of these barrels are completely sealed, but they're porous. And that's one of the beauties of French oak, or oak in general, is that they do have this microscopic interaction with oxygen. And as oxygen permeates the barrels, um, that's part of the fermentation and aging process. It softens, it'll start softening the tannins. It's, and as a result, um, we'll lose about three to 4% uh, due to, they call it the angel the share. Angel share. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but due to the evaporation process. So that's also by keeping the humidity high. It, you know, even to achieve a 1% less evaporation, that still saves a lot of gallons and a lot of bottles of wine from the angels who were very thirsty. <laughs> I was sipping this Chardonnay that came from the egg. Uh, it tastes like a traditional, more of a traditional Chardonnay. I, I get a lot of butteriness to this Chardonnay. So, and it's funny because the butteriness, a lot of it comes from, from oak. Traditionally, right. Yeah, and I don't know the characteristics of this egg, if that does add a little bit to that. Because uh, that's, we, we want a, more, a lot more approachable style Chardonnay. Ours is not designed to be this, you know, uh, big, rich, you know, suck on a butter, Stick uh, type of Chardonnay. Right. It really is, um, you know, it, it's just a nicely balanced, really, really quaffable uh, mm -hmm. bottle of Chardonnay. Uh, this comes from our uh, vineyards um, in uh, Carneros, southern part of Napa Valley. Carneros is one of the perfect areas, it's one of the only areas you can grow Chardonnay in Napa Valley because of its proximity to the bay. Um, there's, that's we do our Pinot and our Chardonnay. Uh, from uh, our Car Carneros property. I gotta tell you, the Carneros region of Napa is turning out to be one of my most favorite AVAs that have, that, that, that's producing some of the most elegant and clean tasting Pinot Noirs. I love Carneros. Yeah, and it's interesting because Carneros does extend into Sonoma County as well. And it's, it is kind of one of those. The only AVA that straddles both. Indeed. Yeah. The proximity to the bay is really fascinating because the, the, the fog there is more it's briny. Mm -hmm. um, there, there is a much different flavor profile for Pinots and Shards in Carneros than traditional Pinot Shard land in Russian River Valley or Sonoma Coast or Petaluma Gap. And that's really one of the cool things about terroir that you just, you're tasting where it's from. We're now back from the tour that Jim took us on. And we're here with Angelina. With winemaking, you always have to stay relevant. You always have to stay and keep ahead of the times and keep upbeat. Um, so, you know, what are we doing today that kind of differentiates us? Well, we're starting to bring back some of the old school concepts that really put Charles Krug on the map. One of them being Chenin Blanc. Um, you know, the other, we have our Sauvignon Blanc, but now we have, you know, our, our Napa Valley Sauvignon Blanc, but we also have our limited release Sauvignon Blanc that has different oak treatment or different um, textures in the mouth. Um, and it's just different winemaking styles that get us to those points um, to be able to create a DTC um, direct to consumer concept here in the tasting room versus what we actually sell nationally. It's a lot of fun. 
So you have a legacy name. Yes. Both Mandavi and Charles Crew, both legacy names. With that comes great responsibility, mm-hmm. right? How much of your time is spent in management and how much time do you get to be creative and in the lab and work and taste and decide when wine is ready and when it's ready to be released? Totally. Um, for Charles Creek Winery, um, part part of my management is I actually sit on the board of directors for Charles Creek Winery. Um, that's a new um, process that we've kind of created. So we do have an outside board board of directors. Um, my dad and my uncle sit on it, as well as my first cousin Lucio, um, the oldest of Pete's kids, um, and myself. And then we have Judd, who you met earlier, our CFO or CEO rather. And then we have two outside board members that also sit that have experience in the wine industry really understand vineyards really understand the concept of of wineries um, and uh, so I get to really sit on that get to learn you know I'm trying to be a sponge I'm 36 years old and I still feel like you know I'm learning new things every every day um, and then from from as far as a winemaking style um, I am a winemaker by trade I'm a consultant winemaker so I actually have my outside business um, and that's where I make my living and how I what I do Um, So I have different clients based here in Napa Valley, um, of which one of them is, you know, Charles Krug. So I get to help um, with the winemaking team every now and then, and that's a lot of fun. Um, You know, creativity and winemaking, it's an absolute must. You know, it's part science, but it's also part creativity and being part artist. Um, You know, for me, I look less on the numbers when I'm picking um, or when I'm about to harvest the fruit. I'm always really looking at and tasting and going with my gut feel um, less on numbers. So, you know, I have a really healthy balance, I think, of being able to kind of dabble in both worlds, Um, you know, from a business standpoint, from, you know, an executive standpoint, but also, you know, as a family member as well, and being able to partake and, and, you know, direct the company in the right direction. And what I can appreciate is that you worked your way to where you are. You uh, went to school and studied viticulture, right? Winemaking, yes. Winemaking, and then you actually went to go work at different wineries around the Napa and Sonoma region, and you worked in the labs. And what what other things have you done before you actually got to be part of the Krug management as well as oh the Krug winemaking process? Yeah, oh, that's a crazy story. Um, so my dad and my grandfather were very much, we needed to learn everything. We needed to learn responsibility, but we also needed to learn the respect of the industry. Um, so at 10 years old, my sisters and I, we all worked in, to, worked in the lab, hmm. um, washing bottles, cleaning bottles helping up set up tastings, pulling samples, um, running analysis. By the time I was 12 years old, I was training individuals before harvest, before school, before school was in session. Um, and, you know, training new people coming in, new lab techs coming in on how to run the machines. Um, so science, obviously, for me, was like... That was my forte. That's what that was my love. That was my passion. I majored in chemistry um, at Villanova with a minor in business, um, and then graduate school. I actually. Um, went to University of Adelaide in South Australia um, and got my winemaking, um, my master's in winemaking there. Um, with that comes, you know, experience and working for other wineries um, around the world. Um, so I traveled to Australia and um, Argentina and worked for other individuals, um, really learning the ropes um, before, you know, kind of coming back here to the family. I'm still not fully immersed into the family business. Um, but one day, one day, Wow, so you've been all uh, a lot of places around the world. Yes. In the wine industry, your palate must be great. 
I like to think I have a pretty good palate. <laughs> <laughs> I know what I like and what I don't like, um, but I also um, I am also studying t- um, to take my advanced sommelier um, course as well, which is really exciting. But it also allows me to be able to, when I have a client come in that says, you know, I really love this Chardonnay, and they explain this region. I know why it why it's that way. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if you're just a winemaker, you don't necessarily know unless you have that palate and you have that experience and you've been there um, to really understand why that wine style is the way that it is. Because sometimes California doesn't allow you to be able to make that style. You can get close, but it may not be 100%. Wow. So you got a full palate with all your uh, tasting experiences uh, from around the world, but you also got a full plate of work responsibilities too. Yes, lots of studying right now. (laughs) And you also, um, we would love to know about your other projects that you're doing because we would love to follow you. Oh yeah, You're a consulting winemaker and winemaker for other brands around Napa Valley. Three years ago, I branched off and I started Amondavi Consulting. And um, it's been a lot of fun. It's been, um, working for yourself is uh, interesting and it takes a lot of discipline and a lot of energy um, to make sure that, you know, your bills get paid. and I have some wonderful clients. Um, my first client that I picked up, uh, aside from the projects that my sisters and I do, which I'll talk about um, shortly, um, is Brasswood Cellars, um, based here, only a half a mile from Charles Creek Winery. It's one of the one of the newer wineries, seventeen thousand square feet of caves. Um, and this winery was developed because the owner, Stacia Dowdell, uh, loves Cabernet. Um, and all my clients own their own properties. Um, so I know that they're truly invested in the company um, and that they're not just going to pick up and walk away, you know, if, if, if they really struggle. Um, and they really focus on Cabernet, Cabernet Franc, um, which they make uh, Chardonnay, Sauvignon Blanc, Syrah, and Pinot Noir. Um, so it's quite an array, um, but really classical classic styles um, for Napa Valley and for Russian River, um, where the Syrah and the Pinot come from. Um, My other client is Jesslyn Vineyards, Mm -hmm. also only like a half a mile from here. Um, I walked on that piece of property and absolutely fell in love with it. Um, There's something unique about all my clients' properties Mm -hmm. um, that I really developed um, an appreciation for and really you know, I, I walk on the property and you know, you really have to be one with the land to really understand what kind of fruit you're going to be getting. Um, and then working very closely with the vineyard management team to make sure that we're, you know, hitting the marks and hitting exactly what the wine, what the, what the owners want. Um, you know, and it's one of the reasons why I got brought on because they maybe weren't happy prior to, um, and they're looking for a new direction, new life, new reinvigoration. And, um, I definitely have the energy for that, um, and the charisma to be able to do that and take, mm-hmm. take them that way. Um, another client is um, Carolyn and Barry Martini, uh, the Martini family, um, and they're located in Childs Valley, um, so that's a lot of fun. Um, Childs Valley is one of the last regions to actually get picked, surprisingly. It's an extremely cool area um, here in Napa Valley, but I absolutely love it. The Cabernet that comes off of there is beautiful, um, and it's a lot of fun. And they're, when we're in the process of, they just got their winery permitted, um, so we're going to be building a winery, so that's going to be a lot of fun, and that's going to be some added 
fascination um, for me. Um, I'm good with starting up in all everywhere that I worked prior to. I've started and helped develop wineries, so it's really kind of up my repertoire to be able to work with them and and be able to create you know the, and create their vision of what they want. Um, and then the other brands that I have are Dark Matter and Aloft, two projects that I have with my sisters, and then Fourth Leaf, a project that I have with my cousin, Rob Mondavi Jr. So you are busy, girl. Yep, I am, <laughs> and I love it. I wouldn't change it. And what do you find the most enthralling? What gives you the most energy? Harvest. Harvest. There is an adrenaline mm-hmm. um, that winemakers get, and until you feel that rush, there's no way to describe it. Um, and you just go. Um, this year, I worked straight, um, no days off. I started working August 8th when the first fruit came in. And I didn't take... This weekend was actually my first vacation. Wow. Um, which is totally crazy. And it wasn't even really a vacation. I'm here. So, <laughs> on a Saturday, talking to you guys. So, I don't really know how to take time off, I think. Um, but, you know, it's the work ethic of my family. Mm-hmm. My grandfather worked until 101. Um, and I hope to be able to do the exact same thing. What do you find is attractive in wine? What do you find your customers, your visitors, and your guests find attractive? What is it about the wine experience that they want? That's a great question. Um, most of my wines, um, as a winemaker, I'm very much a purist. Um, so Me too. almost all my wines are a hundred percent of that varietal, um, and that really kind of has, I think really most of that was my grandfather. My grandfather always said, if you have great land and you treat it well, it will give you exactly what you're looking for. And here in Napa Valley, we're really, really fortunate and we have some of the best vineyard management team, but soil and the terroir here is just unbelievable. So you don't have to do a lot of manipulation in the vineyards. You don't have to do very much when it comes into the winery. You know, it's really the winemaker that ends up screwing up the wine ultimately, um, you know, all said and done. It's, and for me, making sure that you're creating a product that's authentic is huge. And I'm finding more and more people love that storyline and realizing that, you know, okay, I've got a hundred percent cab or I've got something that is tangible. It's a classic Cabernet. You know, you go to Napa, you're looking for these classic Cabernets. Um, and you don't really see it all that often. You know, red blends are really huge right now. And whilst I, re- I respect it and I do love red blends, I have a lot of red blends at home that I love drinking um, because they're usually a little bit more affordable than, you know, popping open a, you know, $150 bottle of wine. Mm-hmm. Um, there's something about having 100% Cabernet or 100% Zinfandel, like my dark matter, and being able to sit down and truly understanding the varietal characteristics of what 100% actually is um, that I think a lot of my customers actually really enjoy. Do you have a favorite varietal? And is it... What are you thinking about that, huh? Well, that's a really hard one. It is a hard one because you're here in Napa where Cab is king. Do you have a tendency to go towards Cabernets or... Be- but because of your worldly experience, do you like other varietals? Oh, this is such a good question. Um, I I really love all wines. Um, I respect what each of them have. I do have wines that I find maybe a little bit more acidic to my palate, so I don't necessarily lean towards that. But for me, from a winemaking style, I love making Zinfandel. It's really difficult. It's really picky. It's just like Pinot Noir. Um, Those two wines really kind of go hand in hand for me. Um, 
you know, aside, like I love cab. It's really easy. It's one of the easiest grapes to make. It can handle the weather a little bit more. It's when you have years like this year where we had an inch and a half of rain and I still had my Zinfandel on the vine up in Howe Mountain and going, oh my gosh, are my berries burst? Mm -hmm. Have they bursted? Or is it, is my vineyard going to still be standing? Um, when you have that sort of stuff, I think that that's what makes every vintage really unique, really different. My Zinfandel turned out phenomenal, mm. you know, but you know, it's all about timing and being able to, you know, understand mother nature and, and that sort of stuff and being able to understand your vineyards that you're working with as well. Mm -hmm. Um, I've worked with the Zinfandel, uh, you know, for 13 years now um, on that piece of property that my sisters and I own. And, you know, it's a lot of fun and it's really, really fascinating when you know that vineyard so well that when you do have rain, you might lose one night's sleep, but then you go out to the vineyard and you're like, oh, oh okay, it's totally fine. Mm -hmm. You know, I just need to leaf pull, you know, get some aeration through, make sure that, you know, we're not going to have any mold growth. Um, you know, and being a little bit more aggressive in that end. Um, you know, and, and another varietal that I really, really love is Chenin Blanc. Um, it was the first wine that, as a kid, that I fondly remember sitting down with my grandfather having half water, half wine, hmm. you know, at like four years old. Um, you know, you get these little, there's these little, like, they almost look like shot glasses, but they're not shot glasses. And um, if anyone grew up in an Italian family, you'll know exactly what I'm talking about because almost every Italian family has them in their in their wine glass or in their um, cupboards. And it'd be 99% water and then like a splash, but it was always Chenin Blanc. Mm -hmm. um, and that's what my family, you know, that's one of the wines that my family thrived off of um, back in the day. And that's what we had most planted for. So um, Chenin Blanc's a lot of fun. Talked about earlier about your, about Cabby and King in Napa, but also about uh, Charles Krug and the Mandavi's history of innovation. So are there, and you just alluded to Chenin Blanc, are there any, uh, varietals here is cab king here at charles krug or are you guys experimenting with things that a lot of other napa wineries and other varietals in napa wineries are not uh seeing yet and not and not experimenting with yet that's a great question um charles krug we own a little over 850 acres um of that most is planted to cabernet okay. um and it really has nothing to do with the fact that it's Cabernet's king. Um, my grandfather really focused, and he was one of the, you know, the pioneers, really, of spearheading. We were one of the first to plant in Carneros um, back in the day. And my grandfather was very much one of those pioneers that, you know, you had to learn which varieties actually grew really well. Um, if we were to plant Pinot Noir on you know, some of our vineyards in Yonville, it wouldn't, it wouldn't grow well. It wouldn't, it's, it just would not work. Um, and that's how we ended up having so much Cabernet in Napa Valley, um, which isn't a bad thing. I love Cab, don't get me wrong. Um, and, uh, but as far as the, our family, we're very much a Cab house. That's our flagship, our um, vintage selection Cabernet Sauvignon um, is really our flagship wine. Um, and then we have our generations as well, which is a red blend, um, Bordeaux, vari Bordeaux varietals that it's really, really yummy, really, really approachable. So you kind of have the gamut of both. We do have a little bit of Malbec play, played with. On a good year, we'll be able to make, you know, a pure Malbec um, for direct-to-consumer wine clubs. Um, 
you know, we've done petite Syrah. I mean, we play around with some stuff that we actually have planted. So it's not like we're going around trying to find a source for it. 99% of the time we actually have it on one of our pieces of property. With 850 acres, we have a lot to work with. So That's awesome. Talking about cabs, you brought for us a 2014 limited release Cabernet. Yes, this is our um, this is our Cold Springs Vineyard, our Howe Mountain Vineyard. This is our newest piece of parcel that we actually purchased. Um, my dad my dad found a 60 acre parcel, um, and it, you know it's really really unique. Howe Mountain is a funny funny region i absolutely love this region um my sisters and i own property up there as well um and then my mom and dad are up there i live up there my mom and dad live up there um it's kind of our home away from home so to speak but with when you're talking about how mountain fruit think really sexy tannins Mm -hmm. and it's very funny to say until you actually put it in your mouth but these tannins actually dance on your tongue um they're not Verse and they're not crazy big, but the, it's a wine that really has these supple tannins that just kind of flirt with your tongue a little bit and flirt with the sides of your mouth, but with edge as well. Um, you know, I like to call How Mountain Cabernets the chameleon because it really does change um, from the time you pour to when it's in your glass and then tasting it actually evolve in the glass how mountain opens up is one of the wines that really shows so many distinct characteristics and flavors um, of it um, it is a hundred percent cab great wow. um, which is really awesome and 2014 what a killer vintage so can't complain let's give it a try here mm, that's that classic cab aroma that's a beautiful bouquet this is a lovely lovely wine very floral Mm. What are you tasting? Wow, classic, but Ooh, beautiful. Lord have mercy. This wine kind of just blew me away. Um, I immediately got um, olive tapenade. Yes. But it is not, and I hope you listeners don't think of that as something pejorative. It is so incredibly interesting and so well integrated and just absolutely... A phenomenal, phenomenal layer of flavor. Um, I immediately got that on the palate, and then, and then this just this incredible lusciousness, this softness. Um, it's 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 actually a cab that I would consider elegant. It 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 almost has this pinot quality and what i mean by that is that it is soft and silky and 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 lighter in flavor and texture than a lot of the cabs that you get in napa valley um which kind of makes me think of immediately pinot that kind of feminine characteristic it is it is wonderfully wonderfully integrated and just a beautiful, beautiful nose. Um, I, I'm, I'm literally almost speechless, which is very difficult for me to be. And um, Thank you. It, it's it's fantastic. An absolutely phenomenal, phenomenal cab. I, I consider this medium to full body. Agreed. Uh, it has, you said supple, which it absolutely is, but it's got this boldness in my mouth. Uh, my first impression of it was... Uh, was the olive tapenade, but then the my second impression of it was a um, almost, and I, I don't know, normally don't call a Cabernet chocolatey, but it's got that chocolatey essence to it. Yeah, I, I always like to describe um, 
any most of our cabernets um, have this beautiful cocoa um, raw cocoa characteristic it's almost like you know you're taking that 65% um, cocoa and shaving off and you know sprinkling you know a dessert or something um, so there's that sweetness but it's not sweet it's not sweet and it's just that fruit characteristic that comes off of this cold springs vineyard that's really really unique that adds that cocoa characteristic or that chocolate characteristic um, olive tapenade is a great descriptor for how mountain wines um, and uh, I also get a lot of cassis in the nose and you mentioned yes. floral I get a lot of violet purple flower mm. Yes. Notes. Um, and it doesn't always come all the time, um, which is kind of funny because sometimes I get it, sometimes I don't. Today, it must be a fruit day today. I didn't even look to see what day it actually is. Um, it's a fruit day. Is it? Yep. Yep. Yesterday was. A, there you go. A leaf day. Yep. For those of you guys that don't know that, I'm a little superstitious. <laughs> um, and um, follow some of the um, lunar and. Um, it's more biodynamic concepts, but um, if you taste on a fruit day, uh, I always find the wines are a lot more approachable, a lot easier to drink, um, and just really, really easy drinking. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas if you're tasting it on a root day or a leaf day, sometimes I find that the wine's a little bit more angular at the beginning. Mm-hmm. It'll eventually open up and be drinkable, but sometimes you have to decant it or you have to give it a little bit more air for the wine to actually open up. Um, so why don't we try the Generations? Sure. The Generations is a concept that um, was created by my dad. Um, my grandfather was away in Europe and my dad got a phone call from a friend of his that had fruit he had no space and he said I'll give you the fruit for free if you have space for it my dad looked around didn't have any tank space nothing was open but he had a partial tank of our premium Cabernet my dad put the Merlot and I think it was a little bit of Malbec as well on top of the premium Cabernet and put Bordeaux blend on the outside of the tank. My grandfather went absolutely berserk. Um, the Italian that he is uh, definitely had some few choice words um, since he lived next door because I remember he came over and was like screaming. I was about 10 years old. Um, but, you know, our family is great at asking for forgiveness. We don't ask for permission. And it definitely has followed down to my generation, for sure. Um, we learn from the best, right? <laughs> mm-hmm. And um, my grandfather tasted this for about 60 days. It was in tank, and then we pressed off, and it stayed in tank because my dad didn't really know what barrels or any of that sort of stuff. And my grandfather came in one day and said, not bad. For my grandfather to say not bad was a vote of confidence and all right, you didn't mess it up. Mm-hmm. Um, my grandfather was more concerned about losing, you know, premium Cabernet um, for him being such a purist. Um, and to this day, it's called Generations. One of our employees created it um, in the name and said, why don't we call it Generations since it's generations, you know, running around, you know, half some of us in diapers and, you know, obviously grandpa and, and my dad and my uncle. Um, so generations is stuck it's always been a blend and it's a lot of fun so most Bordeaux varietals yes here. okay exactly mm. bright berries right off the top huh yeah bright and light it's kind of deceptive of the color because it's a deep dark color it's really really deep but it has that beautiful it's not ripe fruit it's fresh fruit so fresh blueberries fresh blackberry fresh raspberry fresh cherry um, you know, you kind of get all the notes and it really has to do with that blend. You know, it's like the best of both worlds. You, know, you just don't just have the Cabernet, which is that cassis and 
you know, red fruit, you're getting all the fruits, um, which to me, that's like the best of the best. Let's go back on the tour with Jim where we tasted the 2015 Generations wine. So here we are in the carriage house and what did you bring up here? This is the 2015 Generations that we're just launching to our wine club membership today. This is the first day that we're pouring. The Generations is, this is one of the family reserve wines. So primarily Cabernet, a little bit of it, a little bit of Malbec, a little bit of Petit Verdot. Nice. Jesus so. Christ. So, it, from your first impression, huh? Lord, have mercy. <laughs> Describe yeah. it. Um, awesome. It is beautifully silky, number one, and it's a very recent vintage. We're talking about 2015, yet it is very, very silky. It is incredibly aromatic. Um, I get some, some floral notes, but I also get a lot of these beautiful kind of stewed, stewed um, dark fruit notes, like some, some currant and some blackberries and boysenberries. I also get, um, again, eucalyptus, like I got in the last, last wine, but um, it feels more integrated here. It's not as polarizing as I thought it was in the last wine. Even in the last one, I thought it was very good, but this one is beautifully seamless. Um, it's super soft. Um, the most, again, the most aromatic nose. It has some, it has grip, but it's not, it, it's not a grippy wine. It is just beautifully, beautifully balanced, and I, I absolutely, I, I, I love it. I, I, I'm gonna dream about it tonight. Get a very strong, bright cherry flavor to this, which is just so refreshing, uh, unlike other wines that I've tasted, because um, it's um, not a heavy Cabernet, it's a light, well-balanced, uh, easy to drink, something that would complement, I don't know, uh, what would I want to pair this with? Um, just uh, even like a nice, beautiful... Smoked duck comfy. Oh Ooh. my God, which is my favorite thing in the world. So you will you can have some when you're in there. Oh! <gasps> so, Great. Yeah. Now Are it's, you serious? Yeah, so we have... I'm, a, I'm freaking out right now. So I'm we, like obsessed with duck. I believe he has some smoked duck comfy that's I'm in there. I'm obsessed with duck comfy, like so. you don't understand. And we're back from that tour. This makes time stand still. Mm. Every time I sip this, it really is that elegant. Thank it's you. It's that beautiful. It's, it's, a, it's a lovely light um, draw to the tongue, mm -hmm. right? And I think this is something that I would just put on my shelf and have it on reserve all the time. For, Absolutely. For good moments, right? And every night's a good moment. Yeah, and it's and super affordable too. You know, coming from all state fruit, you can't, it doesn't get much better than that. This has been such a wonderful experience for me and Janae today. But what do you think is really the draw to bring your customers here? There's 525 plus wineries here. Uh, the Charles Krug is a legendary name, but yet it's got some great modern, cool, sleek vibes to it but what is the real attraction for charles crew it's, it's yeah. not just the wine the wine yeah. is great no the wine's amazing but here's the thing you come in you become part of our family mm -hmm. you know our family we are open with arms and um you know one of the items that's today is the focaccia um this is a recipe um the the actual um 
bread recipe is my Nona's um, and it was passed down from my great-grandmother to my grandmother and then because I'm the oldest grand granddaughter um, it was actually passed down to me so um, and I was like why don't we use it um, so it's a sourdough starter mm-hmm. And it's taken Chef a while to perfect the focaccia, but it's it's basically a sourdough-based focaccia. So you're talking gluten-free, which is un- wow. unbelievable. Yeah. Um, but it's been passed down since 19. I think it was 1964 when my when my Nona created the starter. I got it as a dry form, um, so it was dehydrated down. So I never had to um, actually restart it unless I wanted to. And all you do is you take a little bit. Um, and now I have it, a live culture that's in my fridge now that I'm not, not moving and I've been here for years now. Um, but back in the day, I got it as a dry culture and it was just stayed in this like little Ziploc bag um, and it just said dry culture. But mm. it's a fam- you know, I don't know if it's a family tradition. Well, I guess it is a family tradition. But when you go in, you feel that and you get to have some of the recipes and you get to have some of this fun that is what brought our family here to begin with. You know, you're not just walking into, you know, a beautiful state of 150, you know, 150 acres. You're walking into history. Um, You can see some of the old vines that we sourced from, um, came from a 110 year old vine that we used to source back in the day. Um, And all the redwood along the walls, Um, you know, so, you know, with the culinary experience and the fun with that and being able to explore and be able to taste some of these cheeses that our family loves so well that pair really really well with our wines um you know it's just the overall experience you know but we are family you know we're not we're not trying to be super showy we're not trying to like one up anyone at the end of the day you come in you may end up meeting one of the family one of us is usually in the tasting room um whether we're picking up wine or we're you know placing orders or you know we're helping out behind the counter you're always going to see a family member and that's something that you don't really get to see in this valley that's what's unique about us is it's all hands on deck we are family we're out there you know selling the wine schlepping the wine around as well and um, when you come in here we're opening our hearts to you and showing you what our passions are all about Mm. i love that angelina we talked about your family's recipes so we are now going to go to the part of the tour where jim took us to the kitchen of charles crude winery to talk about uh, the food and wine pairing aspect of the winery one of the main essential features of this winery is that you also have a kitchen indeed we do so we um, opened the cucina di rosa uh, named after our founding father's wife rosa madavi who we're in development on our food and wine pairings now but the salumery and uh, the cheese selections uh, are really kind of near and dear to what the family has always done. Meat and cheese has always been part of every celebration. We have a great selection of Italian cheeses here as well as some local selections. And basically everything is sourced locally. It's one of the things that we're really proud of. And so your visitors and guests, they have an opportunity to get a charcuterie platter and elevate their tasting experience with the, your wine here? Indeed, yeah. So, And actually the meats themselves are actually, uh, there's a cool story behind them as well. They're actually infused with our wines. Um, mm. There's one that contains our salt block, one that contains uh, our generations, one that contains our Cabernet. So we pair those a lot with some of the cheeses and all that. So, And this is rare for Napa. Not very many wineries can 
offer food to its guests. Yeah, there's a growing number that are, however. And then during the summers, you guys also offer some pizzas? Because I've so had we, one before. Yes, so our pizza oven is renowned. It's like we have a... Uh, a the wood-fired pizza oven out back, a huge picnic area, um, and it's just such a cool, chill vibe out here. Uh, I'm putting in some, uh, um, I'm putting in some uh, bocce courts this coming year, just making it a little bit more entertaining, enjoyable place to do. We're now back from the tour that Jim took us on. Angelina, I could yeah. sit here and talk to you for hours. <laughs> Forever. Thank you. And sip wine with you for hours. Forever. You really are doing some remarkable things, not with Thank this you. wonderful institutional property, the Charles Crook property, which is a must visit, not just for the remarkable, delicious wines here, but the overall the wonderful ambiance and experience. Thank you so much. And and we look forward to hopefully Janae and I can spend more time with you. Would love to. Trying some of your other great wines Absolutely. that you're making off off label off the Charles Krug label. Absolutely. And if you'd like to visit Charles Krug Winery, and I highly recommend that you do, their address is 2800 Main Street, and it's in the St. Helena AVA of Napa Valley. Their phone number is 707-967-2229, um, and you can find them online at charleskrug.com, and they're open from 10.30 a.m. Yes. to 5 p.m., and reservations are definitely recommended. Um, we thank you so very much, Angelina, for taking the time to be with us and to talk to us. This was just the biggest treat that we've had. It really has been a great treat. Oh, thank you so much. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Sip on This. You can continue to learn more about wines and the Napa Valley experience by listening to our podcast, Sip on This. Make sure to subscribe on Apple iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. And check us out at siponthis.org where you can see pictures from today's tasting experience and ask questions, which we'll answer on a future podcast. Until our next podcast, live life peacefully, productively, and deliciously. Cheers. Cheers. So great. with Jim as we talk a little bit more about the property. Well, we're here at uh, the Charles Crew Winery in the St. Helena neighborhood of Napa Valley. I'm so excited to be here. Um, this is just kind of informal, but we're here with Janae. Hey my, guys. My co-host from Sip On This, and we're with Jim, who's the general manager of the Charles Crew Winery. Glad to have you here with us today, Jim. I'm, I'm pleased to have you guys here. It's really a huge thrill. To to share our story and uh, share, share it with your your listeners and awesome. so we're just happy to have you here so when i was driving from san francisco to napa this morning and it only took me about an hour and 20 minutes it was rainy and it was cloudy we're here in december of 2018 and all the grapevines uh since harvest happened uh, earlier this year in September, October, all the grapevines are now turning to this beautiful fall colors of yellows and oranges and reds, just rows and rows of beautiful grapevines. But then when I pulled into the Charles Crook property, boy oh boy, this, you have this long driveway that is lined with beautiful olive trees that are just standing there greeting you like soldiers saluting you on an entrance. It's just a beautiful property and you walk into this beautiful building. What building are we in and what room are we in right now? 
So this is, you're in the, the oldest cellar uh, in Napa Valley. This is the, the oldest winery where it all, the whole wine industry started. Um, so this is the, the famous Redwood Cellar. Uh, this building was built first in 1861. It burned twice um, before, the ni- before 1900. And subsequently, this was a barrel room uh, through uh, the last dozen years, up to about 12 years ago, where we undertook a major rebuilding effort and turned this into a, a beautiful tasting room designed and, and created by Howard uh, Bakken, which who's a very famous architect. Uh, and he converted our, this used to be a dirt floor, redwood tank storage facility where we made some of our wines, and now it's this beautiful, seated tasting, elegant tasting room. For for your listeners, we're pointing to this tall 30-foot redwood cask that we used to store a lot of our wine in over uh, many decades. And there were 175 of those uh, casks in this room. There was one remaining, and we call it Big Red, but all of the wood that was used we deconstructed all of the tanks and we used it in the remodel of this whole building and the carriage house across the way. So this is all old growth redwood that you know had been around in the, at the winery since the 40s and 50s and in the 60s. That's um, amazing. How tall is that? That's 30 feet. Holy cow. And you, redwood trees go 200, 300 feet into the air, Yeah. right? Yeah, Those that are familiar with redwood trees, especially in this Northern California region. So, th- and that's a real old school way of making wine. There were lots of old wineries that they made wine in old redwood casks. So when we walked in from the, your tasting room into this barrel room here, the first thing that hit me right off the bat was the beautiful aroma of mm-hmm. all this wood. So what kind of wood is in, do you use here for your uh, wine aging? So we're, we're looking at approximately five to 600 French oak barrels. Uh, we use exclusively French oak. Um, Stacy Clark, our, wine, our winemaker, really loves uh, certain producers, certain forests in France. Um, they actually impart. There's the, the Allier Forest is a, is an important one that we she sources from. There's a vanillin quality to some of these forests within France that um, is just very unique and very distinct. And so, you know. You can't buy 500 barrels from one producer of this quality, so we have to buy from lots of little producers. Um, and you mentioned vanilla quality, so when the, in the aging process, at the end, the end result, will you, your uh, wines have a more vanilla texture to it, flavor, or does that get uh, blended out through the process? No, so it, it, and vanilla is, I mean, it's one of the descriptors that when you, the, it's one of the aromas that... When, especially when you toast the barrels and the caramelization of that toast. You know, and when winemakers order toast like medium light or heavy, you know, it, it just it's sort of like paella or other things. You just you form this sort of crust that imparts you know very slight aromas and flavors into the wine. It, that does smooth out as the wines uh, ferment and as they as they age in barrel. So Jim. Tell us a little bit about Charles Krug and this property. So Charles Krug, he started construction of this, the buildings on this site in 1861. And this is the oldest 
winery in Napa Valley. This is where it all started. The first winery in California, however, is Buena Vista. It, but Charles Krug also worked at Buena Vista and eventually came up here and built this winery. Uh, married a woman named Carolina Bale who not only you know was the love of his life but also came with a dowry that included oh, wow. that included all of the land that we're currently sitting on here there's about 150 acres here there was a few a few hundred more acres involved so they planted it out um, and then in the mid 80s this was the biggest winery there was actually it's also the home of the first wine club cuz people would pay money and he would deliver wine to them uh, in barrel throughout the year so it was a it, he you know it was a very active uh, winery uh, um, and his wife uh, Carolina um, they she, she built into the covenant of the property that the wine this winery always had to be named Charles Krug so they, she sold it, uh, the estate sold it to the Moffat family. You might have heard of Moffat Field uh, down in Mountain View. Mm-hmm. Um, they were a social light family from San Francisco, and this property was their vacation or their weekend home. So they would come up here uh, quite often. Uh, and the winery continued as a sacramental wine producer during the Prohibition years. Uh, and then eventually they just... Uh, eventually sold it in 1943 to the Mandavi family. So so that's why, to this day, it will be named Charles Krug now and forever. Robert and Peter Mandavi grew up on this property. Uh, Ches- there's, when we walk over, I'll show you the three houses. Um, uh, Cesare and his wife lived in the main house. Robert and Peter lived in the side houses. Then um, they eventually they ran this winery along with uh, Cesare until Cesare passed in 1959. Then Peter and uh, Peter Senior and Robert had a famous falling out, uh, which Robert moved south, did okay for himself, uh, bought the Tokalon Vineyard, and then that you know the rest is history. Peter Senior just he, he wanted to continue Charles Krug in the tradition of what we were doing, um, and so that's you know they both were very successful in their own their own right. So now the third generation, um, Mark and Peter, um, you know, took over the reins uh, and really guided the winery through the '70s and '80s and. Um, and now it's like slowly but surely the four Gs are coming in. And so it's, it's a, it is a fascinating uh, company. And they're, they're very gracious. They're very lovely people. They're fun to work with. They're very involved so on, on every level.